Thank you for joining me today on the Who God Says podcast. I am your host and Kingdom Ambassador, Ty Chandra. <laughs> hi, hi, hi. <laughs> today we have a special guest. Um, she's a minister and retreat leader and an author and also a speaker. Um, she was a Masonic nun, Ooh, a TED Talk speaker, um, a meditation coach, Miss Kimberly Braun. Thank Welcome. you. Great to be with you. And uh, it's a tricky word, but it's actually a monastic nun. Uh, monastic. Oh, yes. Okay. Which which means you live in a monastery. So, <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, it's so great to be with you. I love your energy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, so I'm so glad you're here. Um, so you have a book called Miracles in the Naked Light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what kind of um, drew me to your profile. I was like, oh, that's an interesting title. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So we are talking about the power of your yes. I love that. Yeah. And I know it's such a great title, too. It came to me when I was on a hike. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yes. (laughs) And it does give a testament to the power of yes. It it really marks the journey when I was 29 years old and gave a massive yes, stepping into the unknown. But I heard it. I heard the call. It was like, and the call was build the permanent monastery. And when I gave this massive yes, I honestly didn't think it meant I was going to build the monastery. I I thought it meant generally we're going to build the monastery. And that yes actually led me into being the general contractor and one of the principal fundraisers and uh, one of the designers, which were all skills that I didn't know I had and that spirit gave to me. (laughs) yeah so oh god so you said you answered the call you heard the call to build the monastery what did that call feel like what what were you feeling and what were you kind of dealing with that kind of outline hey this was the call from the holy spirit telling you this is what i want you right you know and it's such a thank you it's it's a great story because i had just taken my vows for life as a nun, which meant I thought I was going to be there forever. And they had asked me to go from our mother community to a new community. So that's what, how monasteries grow is some of the individuals go to a new place and start a new community. And I went down and I joined what was our new community down in Texas. And it was a very different life. I loved it in both places But my mother monastery was in North Dakota and it was super quiet and we farmed the land and we lived this rhythm of prayer and chant and farming. And when I got to Texas, we were small and we were living in a converted house. And so it was more, there was more raucous. Uh, And with that as well, the community loved us so much, which we loved them but that led them to visit us a lot. So we had a lot of activity with the community and there was a little piece in me that was longing for silence. Mm. 
really longing for silence. And so one day I went out back and I was during my time of meditation and my TED talk shares it so beautifully. I was in this sea of yellow wildflowers. It must've been spring. And I really opened up to God, my longing, not from a place of demand or despair, just from that very vulnerable opening up about the longing. And I, I gushed with it. I think I even cried where I'm like, I just long. So in that vulnerability of opening my whole heart, that's when the answer came. So I stepped into the unknown. I trusted that I could express my longing and I was there and I was wide open, having no idea what was going to happen after I opened my heart. And then I literally heard within my being heard, build the permanent monastery. And the words were so consoling that I couldn't do anything but say yes. I was like, yes. (laughs) But I didn't know what that yes meant. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like it happens in all our lives. We give, we step into the unknown and we, we think we know what we're saying yes to and find (laughs) out "Eh, I had no clue about this. (laughs) Yeah. No clue. Yeah, at all. I'm sure you can attest to that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yes. No clue at all. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the the monastery is built, and the total cost was nine million dollars. Yes, that's the estimated value because I was able to get donated a lot of it. Wow. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yes. (laughs) Wow. You just think about that number. Nine million dollars to build the monastery. Right. And you had no experience in building. No. In in design, in contracting, in any of that. No. And now you're in charge of building this nine million dollar monastery. Yes. What obstacles did you face during the building, like spiritual obstacles and physical obstacles? Yeah, it's really a great question as well. Uh, One of the obstacles that I faced was the inevitable um, layers of responses that happened in the local community. For instance, some people were 100% on board. They could see the miracle and they just wanted to be a part. And others doubted. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when great light comes into an area, be it a person, a family, a community, that light penetrates and shows where people have faith and where people have fear. And it hit all those, it hit all of that. And so as the person in charge, I was the container for holding all of that. And so I found within myself that I needed to lean very much into spirit to answer and respond into any and everything that happened. So I could come from that place and not get caught in any layers of drama or doubt or all of that, the way it shows up in the world and hold the torch for this is a miracle beyond our understanding, you know, and it it deserves our respect. That was one challenge that I had in building the monastery. The second was that I was very young 
and I was younger in our community by 20 or 30 years. There were only four other nuns and I was, I lived, monastic life is very hierarchical. So it's unusual for somebody that's young to be entrusted with so much. Yeah. So through a lack of understanding of what goes into that, I didn't receive a lot of emotional support. Physical support was there, the willingness to let me go to the job site and the permissions I needed, but the emotional support to understand what I was carrying. I, I was solitary in that way. Those were some of the challenges. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I can imagine holding a lot of that on your shoulders and not having, you know, just someone that you can pour out or into and they just have. Yeah. have your back basically yeah yeah that that can be mounting you know yes mm. um yeah when you were going through the process of building the monastery and saying yes and all of these um obstacles are coming there are people in the, the community they have their opinions there are people on a job site who are maybe used to doing things a certain way and you know, you're like, I'm walking in my yes. Mm -hmm. This is what the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to do. Um, did you ever have any self-doubt? And how did you deal with that? <laughs> yes, I did. Of course, I yes. <laughs> you know, so in one way, it was so flowing through me that I couldn't have doubted because it was just happening. So yeah. it's like when you know, and it's like, whoosh. And every day was like that. So in that way, I couldn't really doubt the truth, the veracity of it, the truthfulness of it. But where my doubt came in was uh, when I would be on the job site and I would be managing things and I would discover certain mistakes happening, which is inevitable. My workmen were unbelievable, but any construction project, nobody's perfect. And part of leading a project is you go through and you really look at things. And I found each time I found a mistake, I had, I went through a whole day of doubting myself and my whole self-talk was there's no way that all these experienced <laughs> construction workers don't see this. And me who has no experience sees it. That was my whole yeah. self-talk. And finally, I would always have to come to the, the conclusion that it doesn't matter whether I doubt myself or not. It's my job. Yeah. to lay it out there. And I think if we look at doubt that way as that it's really cutting us off from a part of ourselves and not give so much weight to it and so much energy to it, then we can walk through it with greater simplicity because all it usually takes is simplicity. It's like when we doubt, usually when we just go ahead and do it, we're like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, like, <laughs> You know, <laughs> so it was a good lesson to me of just do it. Like, like Nike, the, the slogan from Nike from years ago, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Did you get any pushback when you noticed, like, when you noticed there were maybe mistakes with the construction workers or the, the contractors? Did you get any pushback from them? Um, most of the time, never. There was such a sense of friendship. So they knew that I knew I was not experienced. And in mm -hmm. it, because of the way I trusted them, there was a lot, of, a lot of belief that if I were to bring something up, 
it was worthy of considering. So on that level, no. I would say, and you read this story in my book, and it's a great example of where we get to grow. Uh, I did have one masonry crew that I knew they didn't understand that what they committed to didn't match the money that they needed. So Mm. usually when you book a big contractor for a whole job, like laying all the stone for the chapel, what they'll do is they'll give you a quote on that, the whole job. They don't work by the hour. And then you say yes to that. And I found that I had this one masonry crew that I booked to lay all the concrete block for the chapel, which is a lot. This chapel is 4,000 square feet, 22 feet high. I mean, it's a lot of block. And I had a discussion with them and I I said, well, look, we've got a discount on this block, but it's not as easy to use. Do you, do you want me to get it? Because I want you to stay within your quote. And the lead said, no problem at all. No problem at all. Well, they're laying the block and they keep taking draws, which means each week they can say, we'll take $2,000 for my men. That's off the quote that they commit. Mm -hmm. Well, they reached the end of their draws only two thirds of the way through the project. And Mm -hmm. what happened a third of the way through the project is I could see it. I saw the long view and I asked the lead again. I said, are you sure it's not looking like it's matching up right? And I'd rather just get regular block for you so you can do it. And he was unwilling to talk with me. No, 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 no. He just brushed me aside ignored my, my vision and my intuition and my dialogue. And he was kind of like, you know, a, a, like a salt of the earth, Texan older <laughs> guy, you know, he's like, oh, little yeah. sister, you know, and he probably doubted me. He probably doubted that I understood. And what ended up happening is they took all their draws and then all of a sudden he's asking me for more money. Yeah. And it was so hard because I mean, I'm this young woman. It was so hard. I had to say, you know, you took all your draws. He ignored our conversations. And he said, now my men need to be paid. You need to pay him. Like he pressured me into just yeah. doing what he said. And it was so hard to stand up for the project and myself. Uh, again, that's where a little self-doubt came in. Uh, that's where this sense of being dominated by uh, an older male person I kind of felt unheard and unseen and I was put in a terrible predicament. So, so that's the really only pushback I got was that I was ignored sometimes when I said things, but most of the time not, which was amazing, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. Definitely amazing. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've had to deal with, um, with men in the construction industry. Um, I've been in the tax industry for over 10 years, but when I started um, as an accountant, I was working at a construction firm. So my first time working, I'm working for a construction firm. So I had to deal with a lot of the the foremans and the supervisors and everything. So I was cutting the checks every week. And, <laughs> and at first everything was fine. Um, you know, they would give me their receipts and everything because they all, all of the supervisor had company credit cards. And so I would have to verify their expenses because 
you know, some people take things for granted and they're paying their car note and they're, you know, paying for Disney trips and things like that um, with the company credit card. So I would have to verify their expenses. You know, you have to send in your receipts. And I started getting pushback from them and they're like, oh no, this is how we usually do it. We usually do it like this. And I'm like, well, my job is to make sure that the money that's being spent is spent on the actual projects because I can't charge a client for your Disney trip. Right. You know? And so um, I kept getting pushed back and it was always the older supervisor, the older guys, the older foremans, like in their fifties and everything. And I'm like, why is it so hard? So I had to say that I'm not issuing a check. Like you're not going to get your weekly check until I get the receipts. Mm -hmm. And it was like an uproar for weeks. And then, but the owner, he was amazing. And his, his sister and his wife, and they all, they were all amazing. They were like, well, you know, if that's what she needs, you have to give her what she needs so she can do her job. And I was so grateful that they stood behind me on that. Cause I'm like, I'm just coming in on this and I'm pushing me in these rules and everything, but it made my job easier. It made, you know, their job easier. And it also made that, you know, they knew where they stood when I would give them quarterly reports. We have everything that you need, you know, where you stand, you know, what you're losing money on, you know, and things like that. And so, yeah, they backed me up, but if I wouldn't have had that backup, we probably would have had, I don't know if I would have been <laughs> been there as long as I was, but um, yeah, I was grateful that they gave me up. So I understood when you were like, it was an older guy and they were just like, yeah, it took a while. It took about three weeks. I held oh, this check man. for like three weeks and then he was just like, fine, just fine. <laughs> oh man, it takes such courage, right? Because yeah. When when you're really speaking something that's just true and simple and getting pushed against that, it takes so much courage. And there's something about that energy of pushing down on like somebody trying to force something on you that makes it yeah. so much harder. Like you're saying, I, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do. Like, oh my God. Can we just get through this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you for sharing. Oh, my God. They had a lot of days when I was just like, headaches, headaches, headaches. I was like, these men, why are these men so difficult? Mm. Just, let's, let's just get along. Right. Let's get along. Right. Right. Amen. Well, that's for that's- us to pioneer, right? For those of right. us that long for that kind of relationship where we have to pioneer it. The world's filled with so much fear and habit and old ways yeah. of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I I love to learn new things. So I don't think I would ever grow into um, the person that just knows everything and, you know, get set in their ways. I th- I, I thank God that I'm really, the person that likes to continue to learn, I like to know new things, I like to see new things. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that. That's a great gift you've been given. I'm similar, but that's such a great gift. Keeps you open. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when it's time for Holy Spirit to tell you to do something. Right. Totally. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. 
you're like, um, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Oh, so you you said that the community was mostly behind. Everybody was behind you. There were a few a few hiccups, but um, so what type of reactions were you getting from the community as far as their like the support and everything? Oh wow, what would happen is when I spoke about it, people would just get excited. First, they'd just be excited that something so beautiful was going to be built in their community that it was going to be theirs. And second, they would be excited that they were invited to participate. And this snowballed. I had people, uh, you know, there were people that were had a lot of resources that stepped mm-hmm. forward. And there were people who had no resources that stepped forward. It just ran the gamut. And like examples would be simple crews like drywalling and painters and concrete layers and that would just be working, hardworking community members. And what they do is over and above their paid jobs, they'd come out on their day off and paint for us. Or they'd come out on their day off and lay a room with drywall. Or they would notice on a project that somebody was going to throw away some kind of PVC or rebar, and they'd bring it and donate it to us. So, And this happened in every area with the wood, with the stone, with the uh, man and woman power. It happened with stained glass windows and carved carved pieces. And it happened with just simple things like bringing gas to use wow. and diesel to use for our equipment. It just happened on every single level. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So magnificent. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love to see a community come together. I love to see it. Yeah. It's just so so much that goes on that, you know, people are so divided. But when they come together, it's so amazing. Yeah. I love to see that. I wish I could have seen it. Did you make any video? So, you know what? Uh, there is a promotional video for my book, my audio book. They made a promo. So I'll send you that link. It's only a six-minute video. And then okay. also you can go on my website and my TED talk has, I don't know, about 10 pictures of the monastery. It's okay. so beautiful. So realize as a nun, we didn't have cameras. And yeah. I was very blessed because my mom came to help out on the project and she started taking pictures. She took thousands of pictures that she owns. So I have a lot of pictures. I am so blessed to have that many pictures. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yay, mom. All right. Yay. <laughs> Yay, mom. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I want to ask you about your yes. What does it mean to say yes to your life? And how do you stay in that yes? Mm-hmm. So I can speak first to what it's not saying yes to your life. Isn't running after things saying yes to your life. Isn't giving in under the pressures of society to do something Mm -hmm. that's not wholly aligned with yourself saying yes. Isn't going about your life mindlessly from a kind of a quiet despair 
Saying yes is giving a little time and space to begin to listen to what's happening in your soul. And once you listen, to act on that. So I gave a dramatic example in my own life, but I had spent years in meditation and prayer up to that point. And so I was pretty clear as a vessel for being able to hear. Oftentimes we're not so clear, right? Right. But I'd love to put out there the possibility. And I, if you're listening, I encourage you to wrestle with it to see if it's true for you, that you are always being called. And it's Mm -hmm. not a matter of whether you're being called. It's just a matter of how you hear it. So saying yes is creating the space for yourself to sit and listen and ask those kinds of questions, whether um, you believe in a personal God or not, whether you're open to an experience of the ineffable or source, whether you believe just at your center, there's something greater happening. Giving some time and space to that develops the ability to hear what's happening there. And I think you'll find that when you hear these deeper movements, your yes will come naturally because it's aligned with what you really want. It's aligned with your real values, your real longings. And so that's a big piece of it. Staying in your yes is a whole complex thing, right? Because (laughs) it's one thing to get really jazzed and inspired, you know, and, and you're like, yeah, this is it. And then forget the next day, that whole experience, you know, or fall away through the pressures of life, right? Staying in the yes is making the commitment that you're going to stay close to the inspiration at all times. And now I've been working with people for 23 years to live their life potential. And what I found is everybody responds differently, but we all have the capacity to develop the skillfulness to stay in the yes. Sometimes it's healing from the trauma that cuts us off from our yes. Sometimes Mm. it's developing the daily practice that makes us more available to intuition and insight Mm. and guidance. So it varies. So there are tons of tools and practices, but in the principle, staying in your yes is remembering the inspiration and valuing it above all else. Let's take a quick break. Starting and growing a business while dealing with your finances can be overwhelming and stressful. Hemwold Services provides packages tailored to your business needs to help you mitigate taxes, stay compliant, plan for your future, and save money so you can focus on being the creative, influential, visionary that delivers your dreams to the world. Because what you focus on is what will multiply. Schedule your discovery call today to find out ways Emerald Services can benefit your life plan and your business plan. Visit emeraldserve.com or call 504-603-6059. Wow. Very insightful. <laughs> wow. Um, my mentor, and I... I don't even know if he know he's my mentor, but he will. <laughs> um, Alex Sanfilippo, he always says, know your why. Yeah, that's it. When you know your why, 
Yes. And I loved when I first heard him say it, I was like, yes, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And he always says it. It's like, just know your why. As long as you know your why and always can go back to your why, then you won't have any problems. And I'm like, yes, that is it. Very insightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just what is that inspiration? What is it that that helped you get to this point? What is it that made you say yes in the first place? Stay in that. Stay connected to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Amen to that. Oh, wow. (laughs) We're diving in. (laughs) We are going. (laughs) (laughs) I know that we can all get like caught up into our lives. Like we get caught up in our jobs and our children, our spouses and our businesses and everything. What, um, how would someone be able to increase their focus and their joy so they can be more effective in their yes? Like, how do you kind of hone in on, right? you know? So I have two principles, um, three entry points to that, that oftentimes come up and I share. And then within that, it gets more detailed. The two that it comes to (laughs) perspective and practice. Okay. So perspective is being very vigilant and diligent to make sure that our perspectives are life-giving. That's being alive in our practice. For instance, sometimes we have a certain belief that works for us for a while, and then it doesn't work anymore. It's not alive mm-hmm. anymore. The presence of the divine is not there anymore. It's mm-hmm. our job to then shift our perspective. Uh, another example of shifting perspective is we may have the idea that it is so better to give than to receive that we never, we never value self-care. There's a perspective mm-hmm. that's limiting yeah. in life. And we hold a value in the Western culture to be workaholics, to be always of service, to be always giving, always blah, 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 blah. And we reinforce it with spiritual beliefs. But I believe that statement, better to give than to receive, is misinterpreted. And what's meant Mm. by it is that we are always receiving from source, always. That's the cup. That's what fills the cup. And from there, we give without trying to get a hook to always get in return for our Mm self-worth. So those are examples of perspectives that limit us. So we want to define our limiting perspectives and then we want to engage shifting them. Part of that is understanding the why. why. Why do I even believe that perspective? Why do I believe that I'm not worthy enough to express my real truth. You know, we get into Mm. some really deep things there, perspective. And my belief is when you change your perspective, you change your life. But something that helps us in that process is practice. And practice, now I'm a big meditation teacher. There are many, 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 many practices. But I'll speak to meditation. We even have scientific research of how neural pathways are changed through a steady practice, a daily practice, starting a practice that even gives you five minutes a day of dropping into presence every day develops the capacity 
to stay in your why, to know your why at all times. So perspective and practice and being honest about what works for you. Like a lot of people will try a certain type of meditation and they'll be like, oh, I can't meditate. And I'm like, everybody can meditate. You just haven't found what works for you. Yeah. Okay. And then within that is kind of a subset of three ways we can approach our life when it comes to perspective. The first is reinforce. So when we reinforce our inspirational moments, we set ourselves up for more moments. Dwelling on that instead of dwelling on the stress. So when you have yeah. a really blowout life-giving experience, it could be as simple as seeing a sunset that moves you. Yeah. Uh, reinforce it by telling the story, by journaling, by remembering it, by putting your energy there in it. What's going to happen is you're going to open yourself to the field of potentiality way more, way more than if you're narrowed in on some limited way of being. The second is redirect. When we are, when we are like, let's say attached to some stressful thought mm -hmm. and it's caught us, it's kind of like we're in the throes of it. That happens for all of us. We get a thought and it's like, it takes us. Yep. What we want to do is we want to practice redirecting our orientation. So instead mm -hmm. of giving more fuel to the stressful thought, once you realize that you're looking at the stressful thought and attached to it, you redirect yourself. One way would be to hold the stressful thought, to be present to it as though you're an outsider. You've mm. redirected yourself in that moment and you've created space for a different reality. Uh, another way is to move through practice back into a state of presence. There's a wonderful Buddhist teacher, Pema Chodron, and she was leading a retreat and at the end, she always hosts questions. And, and one woman said, you know, I'm just so discouraged. Every day I get up and I want to practice presence. And every day I, I 10,000 times a day, I turn in stressful ways. My mind is caught in stressful ways, 10,000 times. And Pema Chodron said so wisely, that's 10,000 times you get to return home. Oh, wow. That's a way of redirecting. See, see how that softens it, yeah. makes it positive instead of negative. <laughs> yeah. Really. yeah. And then the Definitely. third is redefine. And redefine has to do with who we see ourselves to be. For instance, we create pressures around our roles. Oh, yeah. I'm meant to be this authority in this way. And then all of a sudden we create this false identity of ourselves and all these pressures <laughs> with living up to it. Yep. Uh, one of the things in my first book that I learned early on in, in my dedicated spiritual path was that everything's my teacher. Well, look at how that redefines me. If I interface with you, that you're my teacher and I'm your learner, if I interface with every event in my life, and let it be my teacher instead of me having to come in with some knowledge I don't have yet. I make yeah. myself more available for navigating a life with wisdom and freedom. 
So that's redefining. And it lets us off the hook. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all knew we could be like children? <laughs> you know, wise as serpents, right. si simple as doves, innocent as doves. You know, there's something powerful about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. And then you can go there down the go. rabbit hole, down any of those. But that kind of gives you a broad view of how staying in your yes can can happen. Yeah. Perspective and practice. Yeah, because my, my pastor always says, your perspective is your reality. <sighs> so, yeah, especially when he talks about how, you know, there are people who have different beliefs. And so, especially when there are like new people coming into their faith, um, you don't need to argue with people about what they believe and, and things like that. And they're in, in the way that they want to um, represent themselves or like you say, get into this, the presence or anything like that, because their perspective is their reality. Yeah. You can't come in and attack someone else's reality, their world. You have to have an understanding is that the way that they see it, the way they identify it, that is their reality. So we don't have to come in and force our way into people's lives. We don't have to force our way into the atmosphere or their world or anything because that's their perspective. And perspective goes along with pretty much everything in your life. Yeah. Yeah. The way you see things, it's your reality. It's, yes. it's amazing to have that, that wisdom that you don't have to treat everyone else like they're an outsider or like they're because they don't agree with you or because you don't understand anything or because, you know, they might not have the same path as you. That's where a lot of judgment comes from. Yeah. yeah. A lot. That's yeah. But we are not the judges. We, we can't judge people. We have to accept them. Yeah. Amen. We can't be Amen. Yeah. And in breadth and yeah. depth to our discussion. It's good stuff. This is amazing. And then putting things into practice. Wow. I had to, <laughs> I had to, I'm usually a planner. So I can plan things out. I know how I want things to go. I know what step A, B, C, and D is. Um, so I'm good with that. But when it's time to shift, like you said, the perspective is everything. So when it's time to shift that perspective and then you put new practices in, oof, that one was a doozy for me. That one was hard. Mm -hmm. It was hard to put to implement new practices to um to accept new things. Like I may have to change my mindset on something like I spoke about in a previous episode, it was hard for me to understand how different people love. Because if you didn't love the way I love, I thought something was wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, that was hard. It was hard to open up and accept that there are different ways you can love people. There are different ways that people love you. And then putting different things into practice. That was one of those major things. I'm not affectionate. I don't like physical touch. But now I've learned that that is so an expression of love. You know, people hug. They want to touch your arm. They want to, and, and it's not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so I had to open myself up to a, a lot of different things and understand I had to put different things into practice. Like with my children, I'm good with that. We can hug. I kiss them. They kiss me and things like that. But with other people, it was like I put conditions on it, like, hold up, you know. And so I had to I had to implement different practices of allowing people to come into my space and allowing me to accept their love. So the practical part is difficult yeah yeah it's really really difficult it's where we get to put the metal to the road or the whatever it whatever that statement is right (laughs) yeah then then you know you walk it like you're talking like we yes walk it like you're talking yes yes (laughs) oh my god (laughs) okay so we have this Beautiful monastery that's built. Yeah. You're walking in your yes. Um, and you've helped us with some um principles and practicalities. Um, what are some of the things that some of the tips or or any advice that you can give us? Let's say, well, I'm gonna go specific to me. I'm a single mother. So for single parents who are maybe not clear on what their path is or they may know what it is but don't understand how they can give into that or accept that and say yes what kind of advice would you give to like single parents on focusing on your yes part of it is a is a reflection I would say. So when we're a single parent, there's so much that we're entrusted with. There's so much that's um, within our responsibility. And it can be very easy in lieu of the responsibility and the challenges in our society. We don't live in a society that's naturally supportive. We think we do because there's resources, right? And there, there are, yeah. there's freedoms to live your dream. Like there's all these encouragements, but if you look closely at society, we're not really set up where it's very uh, nurturing towards mm-hmm. saying yes and staying with our yes. And I would say one of the key things is as someone creates the spaciousness and here's what they're really longing for to begin to ask I believe, help my unbelief. Because ultimately, Mm -hmm. when we're called into something, when we we, we have a call, we've heard something that's been niggling within us, within that call is absolutely everything we need to live it. But it is very difficult to feel it day to day because of how much can be physically and emotionally and psychologically on our plate. So what we want to do is we want to take on the adventure of if I'm called, there must be a way and let the call itself be our path of transformation. So the call is not just the service, but it is actually our path of transformation. And then everything that's a part of our lives will actually benefit from it. For instance, somebody who might be a single parent who's always had the dream of opening a restaurant, 
Let's say something as simple as that. But the stressors of the money, of the time commitment, of the dedication to raising their child well may overcrowd the question that says, well, if I'm called to lead a restaurant, there must be everything I need right there in it. And it's more how we go about it than that we do it. For instance, Mm. I've met individuals that have given a big yes to a call and have had children and it ends up being a very non-traditional situation. But the children are enriched by it because they're still valued, loved, front and center. Like it's still about family first, but somehow the, the, the call is actually part of the family call. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one, that's one way of going to it. And then I'd love to say that I think it's very valuable for every individual to have something of a spiritual mentor. Yeah. Not because that mentor has the answers, but because the mentor can hold the space for presence in such a Mm. way that you and others can hear what's meant to be heard. And that's invaluable. I've had that all my life. And I always encourage others to realize the value of that. Yes, that is very valuable. It is. I would not be sitting here today if it was not for my pastor and spiritual mentor. Wow. Like he, he told me things about myself within like three months of meeting him. And I just was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay. I, I didn't want to call him crazy to his face, but <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> right. And he has been, um, like you say, very valuable, a great asset to my spiritual walk and, and to just me being in, in God's presence. He has been a very, very valuable vessel mm-hmm. in that walk. Yeah, that is absolutely valuable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. You need to have a spiritual mentor. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> So I want to ask you, I ask this question to everyone. What do you believe is your purpose? My purpose is to awaken fully to embodying consciousness in my life and to be a friend to and assist and at the service of that awakening for others. Wow. That's a deep one. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's valuable as well because a lot of people, they can go their whole life without experiencing their true fulfillment yeah and that's awesome that is awesome yeah i like that we're gonna let that marinate i like that i can do that (laughs) 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 or is there any last words that you want to give to the audience or you want to let them know where they can get your book any projects that you have coming up yes so 
everything. That book, and I have a beautiful book of all poetry called Beloved Found. That's all on my relationship with the divine, with God, with spirit. And I have another book too. Uh, everything's on my website, KimberlyBraun.com. And when you go to my website, because if you feel a connection here, I'm really a big believer that everything is divinely orchestrated. If you feel mm-hmm. want, you want to connect with me, then I know I want to connect with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So find a way. I have a retreat coming up that has space. I can do private mm-hmm. sessions. I have online courses, online community. And I have a powerful summit coming up called Discovering Self that's all mm-hmm. virtual. So you can attend it from the comfort of your home. It's in early January. And it's only $47. I wanted it to be super reasonably priced. It's going to be powerful. 11 speakers, lots of practices, lots of breakout rooms where people can share their wisdom. So join me for that. That's going to be really lovely. Wow, that is great. That is a great opportunity. And I'll have all of your links below the episode in the description so everyone can find your book, your poems, the retreat, and also the new event that you have coming up in January. That is great. That's amazing. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for spending time with me in the audience today. Thank you for your time and your talent. Thank you for your spirit. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the Who God Says podcast with your host and Kingdom Ambassador, Ty Chandra. Go to whogodsays.com to join the mailing list for episode premieres, upcoming guests, and more. Send in your questions to be a part of the show at whogodsays at gmail.com. And don't forget, join the Kingdom Fanatic community. Until next time, be blessed and also be a blessing.